Well, I'm Ruby Sheree, and I got into it all with a passion for bodybuilding, actually. And from there, I took a massive leap. And going through my own memories when they were when they're popping up, especially this year, it was actually such a scary change to do something so different. And now I've somehow intertwined them, and I still got the passion for both. But now my focus is more shifted within my own coaching to tend more towards sustainability, lifestyle, and like getting people to really focus on the mindset and the health behind their ambitions with their nutrition and fitness goals. Because with social media always like making things look so pretty, it's kind of chucked a whirlwind into the mix where people kind of expect everything to happen overnight. So that's kind of what I'm focusing more on now versus two years ago. Well, let me kind of bring up something of a, I don't want to say a case study, but but an example that I see with enough frequency that I, I think you're probably going to be able to relate to this. And I think it might be a good, uh, you know, launching point for the conversation, which is, you know, it's not uncommon for me to have a potential client come through my doors, a weight loss client. And let's just say this is a, a woman Perhaps she's in her late 40s, early 50s. She's had a child or two or three. She's married, may or may not have a job. And uh, so obviously that the, having a job may play into this. And, and in the conversation, we'll say, okay, so, so what are you looking to accomplish? And so there's a weight loss goal. There's a, there's a number at the end of the rainbow, for lack of a better term. And, um, and, I, and I'll, the question I'll ask is, when was the last time you were at that weight? And a lot of times the answer that I get is, oh my gosh, maybe when I was in college, but it's almost always a pre-baby weight. And I find that very interesting because a lot of times in that conversation, what, you, what you'll hear somebody say is, is it possible to get there? And I have to kind of lead with the, the sentiment that, yeah, it's possible. Um, I just don't know how realistic it is for you to get it and attain it. Uh, because essentially you're playing a numbers game all the way all the way down, but it's not just numbers. It's your life and it's your stress and it's your marriage and it's your kids and it's all these things. So, um, Ruby, I want to turn it over to you because I would imagine that if I see it over here in the States, there's a decent chance you see it over in Australia. So talk to me a little bit about how these conversations go uh, in your camp. It's ridiculous how many people are so fixated on numbers and if it's not numbers on the scale, it's in the gym. And it's like, yeah, but in like the whole idea of what I say behind everything is, okay, so if you're feeling really good, you're sleeping better. I usually, because of the different things I've went through, we really focus on digestion now as well. And we kind of say when you poop good through the day, then you know that everything's functioning right in the body. So when you're pooping better, when you're sleeping better, when your moods are more stable, when you're actually feeling confident and you have the energy to actually keep up with the kids, go through the day, and you're feeling your clothes looser, what happens if you step on the scale and it doesn't read a number that you like, but, hey, hello, all these other progress markers and you feel like a whole new person? Like, how does the scale rate relate to that? And I feel like if you live your life and go on your journey just focusing on that scale number, you're not really paying attention to life that's happening around you, like things that your husband notices, things that your kids are noticing, like actually play, being able to play in the background with them now. Like 
that's something that a number on the scale cannot give you. And if all you're chasing is that number and weighing yourself daily and then you see the scale go up, go down, go up, and it's like, what's happening? Like, that pressure, that stress is really taking away from you living your life, you becoming the best version of yourself. And something that I've recently had to really hone in on is you're not the person you used to be and focusing on the person you were at point A, trying to get to point B or C, whatever point it is in your journey. There are so many things that happen within that time frame that have made you the person you are today. You're probably wiser. You've learned so much more about life in itself. You've probably just experienced what it is to take care of another human being like your kids. There's just so much that happens between point A and point B that shape who you are today, that develop you and that empower you to live the better life. So. Okay, there's there's so many ways that I want to take this conversation. So I literally was taking notes while you were talking. So so let me start here because you did tip your hat to it. And I am kind of curious, you know, in the States, we, we have a term and perhaps you've seen it. I think it's kind of funny, not not funny, haha, funny, kind of sad, um, that the acronym is SAD, S-A-D, for Standard American Diet, which um, if if you are not clear on this, it's not necessarily a good thing. Um, so when we look at Standard American Diet, a lot of times it's, it's the portions are too big, the quality is not great, and that's kind of where things have gone. So when you're working with a client, um, especially when they're just getting started off and you're trying to work on digestive health, what are some things that you do to help them cross the bridge to better digestive health and essentially more regular bowel movements? A lot of the time, if you ask someone, how much do you drink in a day? They probably would not even be able to tell you because it is that little that they're just all clogged up. They're not like, you know how much water and hydration is paramount to feeling better, to actually having like, strength, feeling clearer, clearer skin, your hair is more lush. And if you look at a standard day, how many veggies and how many colors are on their plates? Pretty much none. And you can get them to just start taking photos of their food and sending it to you. And it's just like, how many different colors are on your plate today? And you can just start by trying to get at least three colors on their plate. Start by getting them putting grapes in the freezer. It's like having lollies. They can snack on that instead of snacking on their kids' bits and pieces of crusts and whatever else. Like, actually challenge them to get as many colors in their day as possible. And then they'll start finding that, oh, you actually pooped today? That's so (laughs) great to hear. Like, we're getting some fiber in your diet oh, you're actually drinking more, you're feeling fresher, you're more awake. It's like actually start taking notice of all of these markers that you wouldn't ever think about. Like you would not usually think about how many times you poop in a day or think it's normal. You might think it's normal to like poop every second day, but then as soon as they're like, oh, I'm actually getting more regular now, I feel really good. My digestion's really good. And just by focusing on how you feel, feel versus how you look that's really where you can start to take the process forward because those feels 
they actually link to deeper emotions and food isn't about food. It's about emotions. And then once you can link that good emotion to good food, then that's why my quote now with my girls is good food equals good mood. I like that. And what I also like that I want to kind of bring note to is in that conversation about digestion, um, you're not uh, pro probiotic, which not that it's necessarily a bad thing if you take one, but that's not, you're not coming at this from a supplement route. You're coming at this from a, from a whole food route. So it's not, this is the supplement that you should take to get you there. Um, unless of course that supplement is, is a, 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 for lack of a better term, a natural source of fiber. And, um, you're not talking about diuretics and you're not talking about laxatives. Um, this is just what can you do with the actual food that you put in your mouth? Yeah. Because a lot of the time, just by making those small changes, you'll find that it gives you a lot more bang for your buck than a tablet would. So there was another thing that you brought up and, you know, I certainly understand this because if we become too obsessed with the scale, just we in general as people, if we become too obsessed with the scale, the scale is not always going to tell us the full truth of what's happening. Um, so if that's the only number that you use for your measurement of progress, it can be misleading. But you did bring up something else that I think can also be um, a little disheartening for some clients, which is, you know, ask your ask your husband, ask your kids, ask your friends what they notice. And I think a lot of times people don't notice. Um, and I think that can also be very discouraging for certain clients. And again, I'm, I'm going to use this hypothetical female as an example. I've, I've got a woman uh, right now who has lost um, close to 40 pounds and um, and her husband really hasn't said anything. And I mean, you know, just as much as I do, somebody loses 40 pounds. That is a that's not a small amount of weight. That that is a weight that is a that's a that's a game changer. That's a that's a lot of weight. It does a lot to a person's frame. Um, when you've got someone who is not getting that uh, that external affirmation that hey you're doing great, hey you look good, what should they use as other measuring sticks for? But I know that I'm doing well. That's kind of where I say your environment can make or break you. And if you don't really get that at home, it's like you can't blame them for not understanding your journey because you can never change someone else. You can only change yourself. So control the controllables. And I'd say immerse yourself into a community that gets you. Whereas like with you, you have your little gym there. Everyone there is on the same journey. Like encouraging more of that inspiration to come from that environment that they're in to take them through the day but then when they're not in that environment anymore progress photos like something I mentioned probably in our first conversation was to get me started I used to take photos every single day like selfies and even ones in my own mirror because when you flick back through your camera roll and you see just how much you've changed and even if you start looking at your facial expressions and if you wrote captions with them and you start to see how different your language starts to change, how much you pick yourself up in the day and even just getting out of bed and being able to bounce out of bed instead of snooze your phone. Like once you can see it, even through the photos, then you can actually start to believe it because you see yourself every day in the mirror, but photos don't lie. 
And especially when someone loses 40 pounds of weight, clothes don't lie either. Like clothes are one measure that I usually put all over my social media whenever clients say that their clothes are fitting loose now because that's something that you just can't deny. Like you can hold it out and say, I did not fake this. Whereas if you're saying, I just see it, then okay, sometimes you might have one day where you feel really good and see yourself looking fabulous and the next day you feel fat and you see yourself as fat, but clothes will never lie. Photos will never lie. So taking different measures of progress where you really cannot doubt yourself and putting yourself more into that environment of people on the same journey as you, same mission as you, same mindset as you, that's giving you positive reinforcement not only away from home but within your own mind, let alone your own house as well. You you raised some really interesting points that I, I want to come back to uh, just to highlight them for a second, which is, and I don't know that I really thought about this until you said it, I love the concept of going back to uh, pictures of yourself when you were a heavier weight and the facial expressions because generally speaking, if someone's not feeling good about how they look, you're going to see that in the body language. So maybe the smile isn't as radiant or, you know, their their self-talk isn't great or whatever the case is. So the caption under the picture may not be something that really shows the reflection of the person that you, you know, want someone to see. Um, but when they're doing that before and after comparison, they can start to see a pretty dramatic difference. And I, I have a client uh, off the top of my head who I, I think does a really great job of this. She's constantly referencing back to pictures of herself um, before she lost weight. And she always notices things like um, how colors made her stand out or certain colors that she wore specifically because she thought they did a good job of disguising her figure. And as she's lost weight, she's become uh, a little bit more confident in the colors that she wears because again, they highlight something that she's happy about. Um, I, I just, I, I think it's a, I think it's a really, really good tool to use. Yeah. And you'll also notice their posture changes. They won't be as hunched over. They'll be standing up with more vigor. Yeah. Oh, 100%. So there's a, there's another part to this too, because, you know, again, I'm going to assume this is something that you see with your clients, but when I sit down with clients before they've, they've ever paid me any money at all, just when we're in consultation and, and just trying to figure out, you know, you're at, here's your point A, your point B is over here. This is there, here are some paths that, that you can follow to get to that, you know, that desired goal. I try to offer several different options because some people do respond to calorie counting and some people respond to, you know, pattern changes and things like that. You know, if I told somebody, hey, listen, can you put a hard stop on the things that you eat after dinner? Because that tends to be where things go wrong. Um, whatever those things are that the person uh, resonates with. A lot of times what I'll see people do is once they get that first little bit of progress, they start to get a little bit more for lack of a better term, ambitious with what they want to do. So they start doing things that are a little bit more aggressive and they figure, I'll just kind of throw an, a, a number out there, that if their goal is 1,500 calories, can I get by at 1,200? Can I get by at 1,000? That way I can get to my goal faster. So talk to me about when you see clients do this, where it backfires and why it backfires. You know, I've probably have only seen it once, but the case really highlights what you're trying to allude to. 
where they started realizing the numbers were going down in the gym because we track that. And then they were wondering why they're having trouble sleeping. And then they were, because I also check in on how their libido is going. And then they were saying how much they just clunked out way too early and they didn't feel they had that same energy that lasted throughout the day. And then they wanted more naps and their steps were down and they didn't feel like they could get through the whole session. And I'm just like, something isn't lining up. And then I looked back at their food log and they were skipping one of their snacks, which was one of their high protein, high carb snacks. And I'm just like, why are you skipping that? And they're like, cause I'm not hungry for it. And I felt like I don't need it. Cause then I can just drop the weight faster. I'm like, it doesn't work that way. You need to fuel yourself. You need to nourish your body so that you can actually perform the same activities. You can expend the same energy and your metabolism doesn't respond in the way that you expect it to. You have to like slowly lure it down. Otherwise you're going to bottom out and you're going to be taking away from other aspects of your usual tracking that makes it hard to really balance things up. So you need to be patient with the process. Otherwise you'll burn out too early. But at the same time, if they are responding to the massive calorie cut, because most other constants are the same, then you have to kind of warn them in advance. Like if you're going to take so much out of the bucket, what's left there in the bucket for you to take out when progress stalls? There's nowhere else to go. You can't expend even more because you're already doing so, so, and so. You don't have the energy to expend more because you've cut so much out. There's nowhere else to go. The only thing left to do now is to actually put you onto a diet break or reverse you back up so that your metabolism starts to respond in the opposite direction before we start taking things out again. So you either follow the process or you burn yourself out too early and you prolong the process. So I, I, I want to bring up a couple things. Um, and I, th I think I'm going to go a couple different directions on you while I'm thinking about it. So one of the <laughs> things that, that you and I had spoken about uh, before we, we got on the call, just in conversation about where we wanted to take this topic, is something that I see a lot of. Um, and, and perhaps it's one of those things where I see more of it because it's something that I put out a lot about myself, which is a past that involves trauma. And when we look at people's uh, responses to their self-image, responses to what they want out of or what they're trying to seek through a diet uh, or, or their, their physique goals, is that there's some kind of link to trauma. And that trauma can be anything up to and including uh, a history of substance abuse, uh, neglect, rape, uh, molestation, all of these things that I think a lot of people are uncomfortable talking about. But when you have a close connection with a client, you invariably may hear. And I, I bring this up because literally just yesterday, I was having a conversation with a, uh, um, a potential client. And this is someone who I've worked with before, who has been on a a decades-long journey of trying to lose and maintain weight loss. And this individual in particular has lost and regained over 100 pounds twice. Um, and so they're, they're back up to not necessarily their heaviest, but up in that, that range of close to their heaviest. And um, 
they said something really interesting yesterday, which was when I grew up, I grew up essentially in poverty and I did not know where my next meal was going to come from. And so now I have this great life by a lot of people's definition. I make plenty of money. Um, I could basically do anything that I would want to in terms of a daily need. You know, if I wanted to go and buy XYZ, I could probably buy it within reason. Um, so I never have to worry about what my next meal is going to be. And part of my problem is, is that I deny myself nothing. And I thought that was really fascinating because I, I don't come from that same background, so I don't view food through the same lens. But I, I do want to kind of get your take on this because if trauma is what's informing our dietary decisions, how do you help people make healthier choices? That trauma is probably the one thing that's the closest thing to me right now because I see it way too often and the predominant one is people just don't feel like they deserve it what they like they don't deserve it they don't deserve a better life they don't deserve to change they don't feel good enough they don't feel confident because they don't feel good enough and any progress that they make they don't feel like they're worthy of even the smallest amount of progress and it can stem from past relationships. It can stem from the smallest of things that their parents say or that teachers say, and it just lingers with them. And in a case of poverty, it'll be that they're so used to having nothing that they don't feel they deserve their new life. They haven't yet really, really like realized that they created this life for them. They deserve it. They deserve to live that life of abundance, but they still live in a life of scarcity. And it might take a few counseling sessions. It might even take EDMR, which is the eye displacement therapy. Like they cannot go on without revisiting, facing and breaking down that trauma that they went through. Otherwise, they're going to keep facing that same self-sabotage of I don't feel capable, I don't feel worthy, I don't deserve to be in a better place and then they can start making the progress and there would always be that point where they just can't go that further step because those intrusive thoughts come back. They don't feel worthy, they don't deserve this and it can really haunt you but until you face that place where you used, like that person you used to be and truly visualise the person that you want to be and acknowledge your achievements thus far and know that you made those through your own grit. You are capable and you do deserve this. And until you can get grips with that, it's just going to keep revisiting you. And I have one person that keeps never feeling good enough. They don't like voicing any opinions. They like being quiet. They're always shy. They always doubt themselves. Whenever they're faced in a public domain, they start rambling off because they can't, They don't feel like they deserve to be in that place. So it can really be a bottleneck until they do get that outside help or even start working it on themselves. But it really does need a professional eye and a professional one-on-one -on -one work through to break down the trauma to get them into the next place because the self-sabotage won't leave them until they are 
worthy. They see themselves as worthy. They see themselves as that person that can truly become the best version of themselves. There was something that you brought up earlier, and I want to come back to this because I know that I still see, uh, I still hear this in conversation. Um, You had talked about the person who um, bottoms out their calories and they start to see these things go wrong. Sleep is affected, libido is affected, um, their progress in the gym is affected. And, you know, you talked about having to go on maintenance or, or something like that to try to get things back in order. But I know a lot of people, and I, I blame, to a certain degree, I, I blame social media for this. Um, a lot of people still believe that the reason why they're not succeeding is because their metabolism is broken. Um, and so what I see is that they are more apt to do the aggressive diet because they're like, well, you know, I, I tried this thing and this this thing over here seems sensible, but sensible doesn't work for me. So I think I need to do the extreme thing because my metabolism is broken. Um, and that's why I'm not losing weight. Can you talk a little bit about what you see uh, in practice when people bring this to your attention? I have a perfect example. There's this girl that refuses to eat anything more than 1200 calories. She's also a teacher. And, you know, teachers are on their feet all day, trains pretty much six days a week, does extra walking, but 1,200 calories a day. And she's been on this for ages. She's done 1,000 calories. She's done 1,400. She's done 1,200. Has never been over 1,200 in a very long time. And I asked the question, do you truly want to live your life on 1,200 calories, eating nothing, saying no to social events, worrying about every single morsel that you put into your mouth because you believe your metabolism's broken because you believe that you possibly cannot eat more to get to the place you want to be. What you need to do is shift your focus from a certain number, from looking a certain way to performing a certain way. Because once you can perform better, once you can get stronger in the gym, get that performance mindset on, then you're really setting up that metabolic engine, kind of like when you've, like you wouldn't put a car on the road if it's not able to go the distance you want it to go. You want it to go through all of the checks and balances. You want to not have to drive the journey with the check engine check engine light on. You want to have your car equipped with the perfect oil, the perfect and like the engine serviced, the wheels, not with those seems like falling off the ends ready for a flat tire like you want the best car which is your body so it can go your whole journey so why cut yourself short you want to go as far as you can before it's time to refuel you don't want to get stopped like before you even leave the street so it's really up to them how they see the life in the future if they want to keep saying no to social events, passing up on their favorite foods because their metabolism's broken and they can only eat 1,200 calories a day or they'll get fat the next day, which is what they end up believing because social media has it where people are posting photos from, oh, the last photo shoot when they're actually not looking like that anymore. <laughs> right. So I, I do want to hang on this for just a second because, I, again, this is this is a conversation that's happening in a very timely sense. Um, I was speaking with a client uh, yesterday, and this is a female client who's, you know, this is not her first rodeo with trying to lose weight, but 
I have in the in the history of this show, I've had a few guests of note who really have a rub with the 1200 calorie goal that a lot of women um, see or are suggested to hit and the there's not context provided to that number. Um, there's no context for age. There's no contact context for level of daily activity. There's no context for um, ratio of lean muscle mass to to fat mass. Um, there's no there's no context for any of those things. It's just I don't like that number, so let's get away from the number. So I do want to talk about this just for some clarification. When you talk about this individual um, that you referenced, this is someone who is an avid exerciser. This is someone who is it would appear is expending a lot of energy. So they're on their feet all day long. Plus, they expend a lot of energy in their extracurricular activity. When you have somebody who is, say, uh, by comparison, is far more sedentary, do you not believe that a lot of times when people say, just because of general human error and mistracking, that what they believe is 1,200 is not actually 1,200? Um, that's probably the first part of the, uh, the, the question. And the, the second part is, when is it okay to uh, cycle the calories differently in terms of do you think that you could reasonably hit a little bit less on the weekdays when it's easier to hit it and maybe give yourself a little bit more room for luxury on the weekends, as you say, to have more of a social life so that you can boost the calories a little bit more and still have the same weekly total for calories? To the first part of your question, I have the perfect example again. I was actually in the bathroom once and I heard people in the neighbor toilet say, oh, I've finally started to track my food and I never realized how much I was like nibbling and snacking on. I've been tracking it and I'm eating, like I'm eating pretty much all clean foods, but I didn't realize how much I was snacking. So a lot of people can believe that they're eating a certain amount of calories or they're eating only clean foods, but you don't realize that you just nibbled your kid's crust or you finished off the peanut butter spoon with whatever was left on there and all that stuff that goes untracked. Added up over time, it can accumulate to a lot like peanut butter, fats. Probably a lot of the time people would say, oh, I just had a simple salad. Okay, did you put any oil on that? Oh, I just drizzled some olive oil on the top. Okay, what salad was it? Oh, just a chicken Caesar. It's healthy. Chicken breast. Oh, yeah, okay. So people vastly underestimate their calories eaten and overestimate the calories expended because this same person was saying how often they go to CrossFit, how often they train. And it's like all this stuff added up over time. Okay, cool. So if you're doing this much activity, how much intensity are you actually giving it? A lot of the time they could say that they're going really intense, but if you witness them exercising, it would be half what they would have put into whatever calorie tracking app that they use. And then they have this massive imbalance between intake and outtake. And then if you look at what you said in the latter one where they can cycle the calories, yeah, that's, that's actually a really good idea. I have a few clients doing that on weekdays. I have them pretty much have simple meals because they're at work. And then on the weekends, they're allowed that little bit extra. But at the same time, do you still really want to be living on such little foods that you truly don't feel satisfied? Because there is a point where you can get yourself to a reasonable maintenance of eating food where you're not 
eating pretty much rabbit food all day. It's like, if you look at the number 1200, you're okay if you're sedentary, if you're overweight, if you're over fat, I should say not overweight, because if you have a greater fat to muscle ratio, you're okay. So 1200 might be your absolute proper calorie intake for losing weight. But do you want to be on the mission of losing weight your whole life? Or do you want to be able to cycle it through periodized nutrition where you're in a fat loss phase up until a point where it is unreasonable and unrealistic to cut any further or to do any more, bring yourself back up to a reasonable maintenance level, say 16, 1700 calories and build your way up as much as you can without overshooting your fat levels and then start the dieting process again. So you're not miserably eating 1200 calories on average for the whole week, pretty much your whole life. Because if you do cycle it, what's that like 800 calories five days a week? And then that gives you an extra thousand calories and an extra 500 days, 500 calories each day on the weekend brings you up to about 1700 calories on the weekend. But during the week, you're miserable. You can't perform you're hungry between meals, you probably can't sleep because you haven't eaten enough in the day, you're probably not even going to be hitting your protein intake. And if you do hit your protein intake, you're not having enough carbs to fuel yourself. And carbs sometimes help you sleep as well. So it really matters where your focus is. But I'd say having that cyclic approach to your focus as well is the best way to go about it. Well, and I like that you brought up just the concept of instead of uh, and because it's this has been brought up on the show many, many times, instead of literally white knuckling your way all the way down to the goal is having those strategic maintenance breaks. Uh, one way to do it so that you can have a little bit of dietary sanity on the way there. And just kind of, I, I've always liked the concept of essentially treating your body a little bit like an experiment because obviously the, you know, the with the, the principle of individuality, there's going to be certain things that uh, work really well for you. They're going to work really well for Ruby, but they won't work really well for Jason. Um, and, and so just understanding this is how my body looks and feels its best. And I always like to encourage people to take notes. You know, if, if there's a day that you really feel great, what what did you do differently? Did you sleep better? Did you have less stress? You know, those things that we don't always think about because again, we become so focused on the scale, but it does highlight another thing that you and I spoke about offline, which was in in the client's mind, many times they they have their perceived weight loss goal and they have what they believe is a reasonable time frame to lose that weight. And sometimes it's realistic and sometimes it's not. So I do want to talk to you about what you see in terms of time frame. Um, how long should it take a person to lose weight? I would say it depends because everyone's different. People have different metabolic profiles. You don't know people's history of dieting, people's history of eating, people's activity levels during the day because you don't burn that much when you're training. You don't burn that much when you're doing your set cardio. But in your day-to-day -day life when you're walking about, like look at someone who's a laborer or someone who's a teacher or someone who's a PT compared to someone who's a desk worker. They would burn up like probably around a thousand calories more, 800 calories more, probably 1200 calories more, depending who you compare. And then there are people of different heights, different starting weights. It really depends, but there are two different cases where people compare themselves to like ludicrousy. 
people that are competing or that have a set date, so they're going to drop weight fast. And then those that are doing like 12-week challenges, those that are doing the slim fast or whatever herbogenics or life or whatever they decide to do. Yeah, okay, cool. Congratulations, you lost all that weight in 12 weeks. Tell me what happens next. I so, love that question. <laughs> I love that question. What next? <laughs> literally, what next? I got one, one, my mentor tagged me in this really amazing study where they did a three-day overfeeding experiment and the people that were studied, they were untrained and they actually lost weight in a massive overfeeding study over three days. And my question was, cool, what next? Oh, and they were untrained. And you don't really know much about them. Like they could have been severely dieting and then give them this big boost of calories. Oh, cool, they're moving around much more. Like I know, for example, me, when I got my carbs increased a lot, like I went from 180 grams of carbs to 320 grams of carbs. I was sweating profusely. I usually don't sweat when I train. I was sweating. I was sweating throughout the whole day. Your body starts to expend more energy as heat. Your body starts to move more. I was fiddling more. Like I realized when I was lying on my bench to do bench press, my leg wouldn't stop like bumping up and down while I was waiting between my sets. Like you, you just, your body is designed to survive when you start dieting. So it starts to restrict your energy. And, and then that, when you is, go in the... Is that because carbs turn into sugar and sugar is addictive like heroin? Is that why you were shaking? Yeah, yeah. I was, I was, I was drinking the sugar from the packet. <laughs> Sorry, I, I had to throw a snarky thing in there somewhere. No, you're good. Yeah, go when ahead. Pe- when people say sugar is addictive, that's a good one to use. <laughs> yes, yeah, so it's, it's insane when people don't realize just how adaptive the body is. Like the metabolism isn't stagnant. The metabolism can't get broken. It is dynamic. So if you starve it, okay, cool. Your body's going to try and survive. If you feed it, your body's just like, what am I going to do with these calories? It starts expanding. Like, especially when it's a short-term study, it's going to do whatever it can to try and find that homeostasis. So it'll be burning more. You'll have more energy. You'll be bumping up and down like the Energizer Bunny. You have to always ask, cool, what happens next? I don't give a shit about the after photo. Where's the after after photo? Right, right. Uh, Ruby, it's it's so true. Uh, (laughs) There's literally so much that we sifted through on here. And while I know that I could talk to you um, for much, much longer, I I think I want listeners to kind of marinate on a lot of what we um, spoke about here. So I mean, I've been following you for a very long time, and I love what you put out. I love seeing what's happening uh, with your lifts. And in fact, before we start to pull this to a close, I do want to get a little bit of an update. So because I know that I have a lot of people that tune in or that are really into this thing, can you tell me a little bit about, um, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pull up a calculator because I like to do the conversions. So where, <laughs> where are you at in terms of your training, in terms of uh, current body weight? And what you're competing with for your big lifts? What what are you uh, what are you hitting right now? I'm 56 kilos. Okay. And I actually stopped squatting for about a year, and then I got them back in for my last phase. And the max I got up to there was five times five at a hundred and. 
five, wait, no, five times six at 105 kilos. And that was on your squat? Yeah. Okay. And then my deadlift, I actually hit 187.5 kilos somewhere between September and October last year. And I haven't been able to beat it since. So I took a little sumo phase and then I took the deadlifts out for four weeks, put squats in, and now I'm back to deadlifting again. So my next goal for deadlifts from 187.5, I'm aiming for 200 kilos by March next year. Okay. And then how about your bench? My bench, my max bench has been 90 kilos. Haven't done the strength phase on it yet. Okay, so for those of us who uh, are working from a different metric system, I just wanna be able to spit these numbers out. So at a body weight of 123 pounds, you were doing five by six at 231 pounds for your squat. You have successfully pulled 412.5 pounds in your deadlift, uh, aiming for a goal of 440, and uh, and your bench has topped out at 198 pounds. Ruby, that's it's sensational. It's It's really amazing. Thank you. And I guess <laughs> I, I guess that reinforces how long it does also take to make progress because I've been stuck on my deadlifts for that time period since last September. So be patient and know that the game that you play is for longevity and you don't want to pull a tendon or a muscle or something and have nothing left to give pretty much yeah and and for the record those who don't follow you ruby is not afraid of a nosebleed <laughs> yep <laughs> <laughs> so ruby is there anything that i didn't ask you that you want to make sure you leave listeners with mm, i think we covered quite a lot in this conversation yeah yeah i agree so i i want people to connect with your work who don't already what is the best place for people to to do and go to be able to follow what you do I'm on, I'm most active on Facebook, actually, under Ruby Shuri, which would be spelt as you see it in the name of this podcast. And I'm also on Instagram, rubysheree.coachingspecialist. Awesome. I will be putting that information in the show notes so people can catch up with what you're doing and obviously to see where you take your uh, your lifts to in the future. But Ruby, thank you so much for coming back on. Uh, it, it has been nearly two years and I'm so sorry for the delay, but it is always great to catch up with you. Likewise. For those of you listening, hope you have an opportunity to download, subscribe, share with your friends. If you have an extra moment, please leave us an iTunes review. We will catch you next time.